we've got a super awesome speaker today. Uh, Dan and I have just gotten to know each other within the last like year or so and, and kind of going through some of our history and things that we've been through and things that, that we've seen and in life and ministry and different things like that. And I don't want to take any more of his time, but Dan, you want to come up here? He's also, Dan is also an incredible artist and author, and he has books and drawings and words. And interpretive praise dance. Don't forget he, that. He is going to be doing, <laughs> he said his two spiritual gifts are interpretive dance and uh, what was the second one? Ministering to people who want to be left alone. That's Ministering uh, <laughs> to people who want to be left alone. It's one of my favorite ones. So, uh, thank you, Dan. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, uh, Justin and Tracy, and really to the entire Pure Grace family. You... I would familiar with Ben and Buddy through Gospel Life, but when we first came to Pure Grace, it was a time when our family um, was learning how to blend. And if you're in a blended family, or have ever been in a blended family, you know that's not an easy time. And it was just a very strange time for everybody. And I want to thank you personally um, just for the kindness that you showed us and the love and the acceptance you showed us because it made all the difference in the world. So thank you very much for that. It made us feel very, very welcome. And... Uh, I had to chuckle a little bit when Justin called me and he asked me to give my testimony because uh, giving my testimony has never been an easy thing for me to do. Um, I think growing up, I'd heard so many wild stories of people coming to Christ. I heard, I mean, evangelists that just rode in, I mean, in, on two wheels and a Camaro that flipped and the partner in the car was upside down on fire going, give your life to Christ. And it was like those wild stories and people in prison and jail. And I don't know how many times I heard the second in command of the hell's angels got saved. I mean, it seemed like every evangelist at one time was a second in command. Thinking, how many of these guys are there? Uh, it was like a, a high turnover rate. But I always thought that my, my testimony was so boring and so plain. And in fact, when I went to Bible college, one of the classes, the last year that I was there, one of the classes, the teacher insisted on everybody in the class giving their testimony. And this teacher could hardly see, he could hardly hear, and he was just ready for, to be done with teaching. He'd been there for a long time, and I never forget that he had an assistant in the class calling names up. And when you're a Stomball, you're always at the last because it's S. And I remember, you know, towards the end, I came up because they called my name, and I came to the class, at the front of the class, to give my testimony. And they said, Stomball. He's like, Stomball, I knew your father, you know. And I, <laughs> so I gave my testimony, and then when it was all said and done, you know, everybody, you know, that's good. And I sat down, and the next week they were reading names. It was on a Friday, and they read my name again. I'm thinking, what in the world? And the person that was reading the list, was a friend of mine. They were just giving me a hard time. And I'm like, really? And uh, the teacher had forgotten. And they said, Stomball, I knew your father. Come on up here. <laughs> so I figured my testimony was too boring. So I made up a different one. It's time <laughs> my dad was in the military. <laughs> and we traveled around. And, and it was just this miraculous story. And, at, and no joke, seven times that semester I gave my testimony. And each time was different. It was wild. One time I was an orphan. One time I grew up in a drug house. And it was just every time. I just thought, well, eventually it's going to be good enough where they'll let me down and just let me sit down. Um, but I, I, never, I never really understood. And really that's the reason why it was so hard for me to give a testimony. Because back then I never really understood the power of a person's testimony. And when you understand the power of your testimony, because everyone in this room has a story of where your journey with Christ started, and it didn't start on the day that you said a prayer and asked Jesus to come into your heart. Your story with God actually started way back when you can first recognize his heartbeat for you. Way back. And for some of us, life has to really kick us around a lot in order for us to unclog our spiritual ears. We can realize that God has always been 
for us. His heartbeat has always been for us. Even in the times when we did not recognize him, our story happened a long time before we even ever considered God. He was there. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you my story this morning, and it's my hope that through what I'm going to talk about, that it would help encourage everyone in this room to look back and really focus in and ask God to remind them, because we forget. We have built-in forgetters. Ask God to remind us where our story with him started. Because how you see God presents the God that you give to other people. And if you have God as in a box, then guess what you're giving to other people? God in a box. But when you can understand God's heartbeat was for you when you didn't recognize him, that's the God that you give away. And that's the God that people need to hear. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day you've given us today. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your, your love for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take over here. I ask that you would speak through what's being spoken I ask that you guide and direct, and if anything needs to be omitted, I ask you to admit it. If it needs to be added, I ask you to add it. Holy Spirit, I just want to thank you for speaking to our hearts, and I want to thank you for giving us the ability to speak back. Thank you for relationship this morning. Be with everything that's said and done. In your name we ask it. Amen. In the story of God's heartbeat for me would have to begin at a factory in Lansing, Indiana, where they make railroad cars. It was like any railroad car type factory you would picture in your mind. It was smelly, it was dirty, it was grimy, it smelled like welding. It was just not a very pleasant place to be. And this story actually opens up in the break room of that rail car place in Lansing, Indiana. It was this little table off to the side where there was a man sitting by himself. And this guy was what you would call a hippie. He had long hair and he was completely in his own world. He lived for two things and he enjoyed two things. And right then at that moment, he was enjoying the two things he loved most in life. He had in front of him, he had this little chessboard spread out, these little pieces. Chess was big back then. And he was making little notations and he was moving pieces around the board. He lived for chess. He loved it. And he also loved smoking weed. And so what he did in the break room is he would play people for money to go buy his weed with. That's what he called his lunch money. And so he, was, he had it all set up. And he was over there back in the table, and he was, he was playing, making notations, and really just letting people know he was ready to play if they wanted to play, and, and he would just, that's what he did. Well, in this particular day, in walked the preacher man, because the factory had a preacher man. He had a big blue and white igloo cooler, blue on the bottom, white at the top. You'd seen him before. You push the button, and it slides off to the side. It was really grimy. And everyone called him the preacher man because he had this electrical tape red cross right on the very front of it, on the, on the white part of it. And he had short hair, and he was always walking around the plant singing gospel songs. That's just the preacher man. And no one wanted to talk to the preacher man unless they needed something. You know how that goes. <laughs> no one wanted to talk to the preacher man unless someone in their house needed prayer. And then it's when they'd go hit the preacher man up to say a prayer for him. The preacher man walked into the break room. He walked past all the loud tables and walked straight to the hippie's table, put his lunchbox down and sat down across from him. And he asked the hippie, hey, you want to play chess? And the hippie looked up at him and said, you mean for money? And he said, no, just to prove that you really are the best. Do you want to play? The hippie said, oh, okay, fine. And as soon as he started setting up the pieces, the people in the break room started to, hey, hey, check this out. The preacher man's playing the hippie for Jeff. Here I was watching. Within a few moves, and the preacher man wasn't even paying attention to the game. Within a few moves, he had beat the hippie at chess. And he just, the hippie sat back and he was just, I don't know how that happened. He said, I demand a rematch right now. And he said, I'll, I'll give you a rematch. He opened up his cooler, pulled out this little pink and gray piece of paper with a cross on the front of it. He said, I'll play again tomorrow if you read this today. 
I'm going to ask you about it tomorrow. Like, snatched out his hand. Okay, whatever. Threw it in his lunch bag. The next day, they sat across on the table, and this time the preacher man added insult to injury because he had his Bible open, and he was looking at it right here. As he's, he's looking over, he'd make a move and go back to what he was doing. And <laughs> the hippie really took it serious. He was notating every move, and this guy was underlining stuff in his Bible, writing notes. Mine was completely a different place, and he beat the hippie again at chest. And this time, he said, I don't understand how this is happening. He said, tell you what, he got that little piece of paper again. He said, you read this and tonight, and t- tomorrow I'll play again. We'll talk about it. He snatched out his hands, shoved his lunchbox. And what the hippie was doing when he got home is he'd take those little little pieces of paper and he'd throw them on his dresser and call it a night. What the hippie didn't know is that while he was at work and while he was out doing the things that he liked to do after work, his wife was at the house cleaning up the, the house and she would go and find these little scraps of paper on his dresser. And she was picking those pieces of paper up and she was sitting down on the side of the bed and she was reading them. And what's amazing to me is because this lady should not have been touching this stuff because this lady was a, a practicing witch. That's what she did. She loved it. She had this really wild house going on and right in the middle of all this chaos, the God that created a molecule was able to invade the heart of my mom where she could read a piece of paper and stop and realize there was something more to life than what she had found through all of the activities to please self. And as it infected her, I say infected in a good way, as it just enveloped her heart, things started to change in the house, and the hippie keep bringing home these slips of paper really ticked off about work. And she kept taking them, and she kept absorbing things. And one day came home, and the music wasn't playing, and the and the, the alcohol wasn't out, and the incense wasn't burning, the drugs weren't out. And he said, what's going on with you? And she said, Mike, I think you need to see something here. Because there's something that I'm finding that I haven't found before. You know, looking back at my story now, before I even understood God's heartbeat, I saw that his heartbeat was for me, even when I wasn't born, to reach out to my parents. By the time I was born, Dad was already in Bible college learning how to be a pastor. And by the time I was born, the alcohol was out of the house, the drugs out of the house, the house was clean, the house was vibrant, the house was alive. And, and I had a whole different life than what had happened before. It was a chess game that really changed our family's life. So for me, looking back now, I see God's fingerprint. But back then, if you asked me to give my testimony, I would say, well, I grew up in church because church was my life. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday afternoon, some kind of visitation program, Sunday night, another service, Wednesday night, another service, Tuesday night visitation, Thursday night visitation, (laughs) Saturday night, little go out and knock on doors and, and invite people to church. And it was just a, it was pretty consuming. Let me just say that when you grow up with that understanding Hearing about a God who's real in other people's life loses its thrill when you don't see it for yourself. And that's where I was. I heard about a God that moved in other people's lives, but I never quite understood it for myself. I would hear about people talk about how excited they were to read their Bible, but to me it was old hat. And because I had seen it, I had heard it, I had heard it thousands of times, it was just sort of one of those things that sort of passes by, and and I didn't quite necessarily understand how they were seeing things. And I thought there was something wrong with me. So I heard about how God used to do things. I heard about all the things he could do, all the things he wanted to do, all the things he would do, all the things he was doing now for other people. And when it came time for what is God doing for me, it was just kind of empty. And so I did what everyone else does. 
if you're seeing God this way, maybe I should mimic what you're doing because you got it right. And so I started looking around to see what other people were doing and started trying to imitate them. If it was in the Bible, how did this person hear God? What were they doing? They were willing to go before lions. Okay, I'm doing that. And I just jumped all head in to see whatever I could do. Went to Bible college, did all the things, trying to get a hold of God that way. Went to work in a church full time, thought, man, this would be great. I'll do this and I'll burn the candle at both ends and, and do what I can to see if I can get God summoned into my life. The King Kong way, you know, where we bing the drum and boom, boom, gong, gong, and then the jungle's moving, the trees, you hear him, he's coming, and it's like trying to summon God into my life, whatever it could take to get God to move on my behalf, that's what I was wanting to do, and what I discovered very quickly is that life that leads to service, and service is a poor substitute for relationship, because when you start trying to serve God to please him, all of a sudden being the top Jesus salesman is the ultimate goal, and the only thing that comes to my mind is that Alec Baldwin scene from the Glenn Gary Close movie where he says, put that coffee down, coffee's for closes, and for me, that's what it was. It's like, man, I need to close the sale. I need, And if I couldn't get someone to convince to give up their belief system to adopt mine, I just didn't sell Jesus good enough. And I need to go back to salesman school and learn how to sell Jesus in a better way. And that's what I did. Most of my Christian life was going to salesman school, learning how to sell Jesus the best possible way ever. And let me tell you something that's exhausting and it's frustrating because at the end of the day, it was all coming from flesh. Man. Then one day I got desperate. They say desperation is the mother of innovation. I want to show you something. If you got your Bibles on your phone, look at Luke chapter 19. Because I found someone in the Bible that got just as desperate. And when I read their story, it would pretty much summed up the rest of my testimony. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 1. Man, I love this story. I don't know how many times I've heard this story. I've heard so many sermons about it, but I love it. It says, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. If you're from the south, it's Zacchaeus. If you're from the north, it's Zacchaeus. If you're from California, it's just Zac. And he was with a chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's the religious group. And they're in every story. They all murmured saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, I restore to him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he is also the son of Abraham, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. A little man that climbed a tree to see Jesus. This story was all about perspective and perception. This guy was willing to do something that the other people around him weren't willing to do. Now look at Zacchaeus, and while I don't identify with his math skills, I was homeschooled, I don't really get that. I do understand and identify with his desire and his hunger for relationship. I identify and understand his desire and his hunger for something that was real. 
You know, even working as a staff member in a church at a full-time level, I saw so much stuff that was manufactured and made. And it was God was doing a great big thing. It's like, well, if God's doing the great big thing, why am I running the fog machine in the great Oz head? You know, it's like, <laughs> this is God. What? And I saw so much that if you could ask me, what are you hungry for the most? I wouldn't say a, 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 a better title. I wouldn't say more money. I would say, honestly, after a lifetime of living and breathing church and living and breathing Bible, what I was hungry for more than anything else was a real understanding of God's heart for me apart from what I did, what I had, and what other people thought of me. Man, one day, God changed that. And let me just say, when you're so used to picking up the phone and saying, hey, uh, this is Brother Dan, Associate pastor, da 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 hey, this is Dan. <laughs> it changes. And all of a sudden, all you're left with when the titles are gone is just who you are. And God says, let me teach you who you are. I look at Zacchaeus, and I, and I look at the story, and let me, let me just say this. That God doesn't promise to bless Bible memorizers. He never has. He does say, I'll bless a Bible meditator. In Psalms 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the godly, nor standeth away in sinners, nor sitteth in the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His, in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringeth forth fruit in his season. Whatever he shall do shall prosper. God says, I'll prosper a Bible meditator. People, the jails are full of people who memorize the Bible. But do we take the time to think about what it is that we memorize? So let's look at the story of Zacchaeus because we know it and we just read it. But let's look at the story of Zacchaeus and actually look at it and ask the Holy Spirit to show us something really awesome. Because I think if we're going to prosper in our life, it's because we don't know more Bible stories than the average bear. It's because we've asked God to help us and the Holy Spirit to teach us what we already know in the word of God. So here it is, Jesus passing through. I love how the story says Jesus passed through Jericho. And I love that right away it stands out to me that Jesus is always there. Jesus is walking through Jericho and he's part of everyone's story, everyone in this room. There was a moment in time where Jesus passed through your, your timeline, whether it was at a, at a break room in a Lansing truck place or whether it was a, a restaurant or whether the cafe was jail. At one point, Jesus passed through your timeline and he walked to hold you. And I love the fact that Jesus is walking through uh, this timeline. He walks through the Zacchaeus' town and Zac is this guy. He's a chief publican. If you know the, the story of the publicans, this was a bid position. Rome was the occupying force, and they collected taxes from the Israel, the people, the children of Israel, the Judeas, Judas, Jews, and they collected their taxes from them, and they make insult to injury. They chose one of the Jews to represent them and collect taxes from their own people, and these people had a position called a publican. You could take whatever you wanted to, and it was government-enforced robbery. Sounds similar today. They didn't like it any more <laughs> than they do today. But they would have someone collecting taxes, and they could just sort of set their own scale. And Zacchaeus was this guy that did this. And so we know that he was the top dog. He was the chief. This was a position that took him years to get. But Zacchaeus, we also know that he was short in stature, and people didn't like him. People had T-shirts that I've had up to here with Zacchaeus. They didn't like Zacchaeus. <laughs> it's a little, little humor there. Uh, but they didn't like Zacchaeus. And in fact, no one liked him. And I don't know if Zacchaeus' personality was such that since he was short, he was picked on as a kid. And this was his way of getting back at all the people that picked on him. Now I'm the tax guy, and I can charge you what I want. You have nothing. That's the worst kind of tax person. And he said, I don't know if that was his mentality or what, but people didn't like him. They didn't want to be around him. He was such a person that people said automatically, there's Zacchaeus, the sinner, and they wanted to stay away from him. But I've seen this story of Jesus and Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus was there and, and working with his own people. Zacchaeus was not a stranger to who Jesus was. 
Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He knew what Jesus has capable of doing. He heard all the things that Jesus was doing for others. He heard about all the things that Jesus could do and all the things that Jesus would do and all the things that Jesus was doing actively now in the life of other people. And so I do identify with Zacchaeus in that moment. Because when the noise came past his booth that Jesus was in town, Zacchaeus put his stuff away, closed up shop, and said, I'm going to go and see this guy for myself. I love the fact that when he got to the crowd to see Jesus, he couldn't. He couldn't see Jesus the way other people could. Now, I don't know how short he was, but if you've ever sat behind somebody in a movie theater that's big and tall, it's really awkward. And then they keep stretching and moving. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. All he could do is hear other people screaming, he's coming, he's coming. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus just healed that man. He's hearing all the things that Jesus was doing in the life of other people, but he was unable to see it for himself. Have you ever been there? I hear Jesus doing something for someone else, but I can't see it for me. That was my story. But then Zacchaeus did something that nobody else was doing. Zacchaeus said, if I can't see him this way, what do I need to do to change that situation? I can't push through people. I can't crawl, and I'm no longer interested in pretending like I'm just as happy at the back of the crowd as the people at the front of the crowd. I'm tired of faking it till I make it in this view of Jesus. Zacchaeus goes up to a tree, and he starts to climb. Now, I don't know how old Zacchaeus is, but there's a certain age that every man gets, and he shouldn't climb trees. <laughs> Zacchaeus was probably past that. <laughs> he didn't care. You drive through some neighborhoods, there's tennis shoes and the, the wires, like that's, man, there's drugs in this neighborhood. You drive through this one, there's a tax guy in the tree. Man, stay out of this one. <laughs> he climbs up in a tree and he's standing up there and he's looking at Jesus. He makes eye contact. And I'll never forget the day that, that I first saw his heart for me because it changed everything about my perception of who he was. You know, born and raised thinking that God is pleased only if you do this many things and because you go to church this many times a week, you're so much more in God's favor than this person who just shows up every now and again. You were out passing out tracks on Saturday, God's pleased with you more than he was with someone who just at home watching the game. Oh, you actually had a highlighted map on your wall with streets that were highlighted saying that you went to these doors, you didn't double track, and you can get, <laughs> you know, that's, man, that's awesome. God's so happy to grow up with that mindset. Man, the, diff, the view from the tree was so much different from the view in back of the crowd. When Jesus looked up at the tree, he didn't just see a guy hanging from the tree. He didn't see a tax man. The Bible says he saw Zacchaeus. One of the very first things I noticed is that when I looked at God for the first time for me, that God saw me. When you look in God's direction, what you always know is that God has been looking in yours. It's like those kids that are just trying to wait for you to pay attention to them. Sitting back here during this long service, I was just looking up here and Devin nudged me, says, hey, Hunter wants your attention. Look back and Hunter's staring at me. His cup of coffee in his hand. He's waiting for eye contact. Man, when you look at God, you know that he's looking right at you. But you don't see that when you're on the ground. 
The difference was being willing to change. Let me ask you this morning, how is it that you see God today? Even in church like Pure Grace, where the message is drastically different than what I grew up with, I do know it's possible to go to church and not see God the way other people do. I do know it's possible to sit and watch other people be moved by the Holy Spirit and say, I wish that could happen to me. Man, they seem to really be into this worship service, but I can't seem to do it no matter how hard I try. How do you see God this morning? Most people see God the same way that they see their own dad. If God was absent, then, or if dad was absent, then God seems to be absent. If God, dad was abusive, God's abusive. You see that far side cartoon where it's got uh, this guy and he's struggling, he's walking down the street and he's pushing this little wheelbarrow full of dirt or something. There's this baby grand piano hanging over his head with a rope and starting to fray and God's up in heaven watching all this on a TV and it says bless and smite. And he's like, look at the keyboard, trying to see which one. If God was abusive, we tend to see, if dad was abusive, we tend to see God as that. If dad was really short and his temper was really high, if we displeased him, then God is the same way. If God, if dad was very close and loving, then God's close and loving. We tend to look at that. So how do you see God this morning? I'm not asking you how long you've been in church. How do you see God? I'm not asking you if you sing, if you teach, if you minister. How do you see God this morning? And are you happy with that? Man, and he ran before and climbed up to a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. What would it be worth for you to see Jesus differently? Zacchaeus said, I'm not getting anywhere like this. I'm listening, I'm hearing, but I'm not getting what I need. I need to be willing to change. Man, for me, I remember the, the day that, for me, it was, it was the point where I got to, I, I couldn't keep faking it. I remember uh, talking with Ben about this. We worked at the same church, and we were just very unsettled with what we were doing. The performance-based mindset was really closing in on both of us, and we were trying to figure it all out. And I remember the day that I walked into the senior pastor's office, and I said, hey, I think that, uh, I think I need to resign. Working. I said, I just, I'm, I'm kind of hit a wall here. Never forget, it was in my, in my heart at the time, it was just I, I needed to change. I wanted to be away from the production, the show, but really it was God reaching out and pulling me back for a season. And I was working building cabinets for $10 an hour and, and to put food on the table. And during that period of time, there was no plan B or C. It was just, hey, I can't be here anymore. I can't be doing part of this anymore. I can't be part of this anymore. And I remember stepping away from that and building cabinets and the whole time God teaching me who I was. And for me, the sycamore tree was really hard. It was saying, God, I'd be willing to lay aside everything that I've known about you. I want to put that aside and help me unlearn so you can relearn. And literally everything that I knew, every, every group that I grew up in, all the people that my family knew, all the people that I knew, all the social structures that we had centered our life around in church, literally stepped away and pulled away from that. And for me, it was just a quiet time of just saying, God, I need you to teach me. I didn't go flocking to books and tapes and CDs. I just, it was just the Bible saying, God, help me understand how you feel about this. Help me understand how you feel about this. And I would write my questions out. And for me, the sycamore tree was being willing to step away from everything that I knew to be normal and pursue truth man I'm telling you what it was a difficult time everything in life flipped upside down everything changed people that were close to me walked away people that were close to me I had to walk away from in some cases and God changed that and switched that around for us but the powerful thing was that God was, God was able to teach me who I was to him 
outside of all the things that I put in the ideas that I put in front of him? What would it be willing for you to do to change if you're not happy with what God, how you see God? I love the last line in the story that Zacchaeus, it says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I always wonder, why did he tell Zacchaeus that? Why did he say that about Zacchaeus? Here he is telling this, this, the, the, the religious crowd, he's, they said, hey, you're with the sinner. He said, no, I'm, I've come to save and seeking to save that which was lost. Why would he, why would he say that about Zacchaeus? Have you ever read, ever read Ezekiel 34? It's one of the most difficult verses and chapters in the Bible to read. It's God speaking to the priests of Israel. And God says, woe to you priests for what you've done to my nation. Your corruption, you've destroyed my people. You've shaved their wool off the sheep and you've let them go off in the fields and you've taken what you can from people and you've made them feel that they have to earn me and you've made them feel. Read the Ezekiel 34, it's pretty harsh. And then he says this, because of the way you've treated my people, I will be your shepherd and I will come after my sheep and I will find them where they're lost and I will find them when they're broken and I will find them when they're wounded and I will come and heal them and I'll, I'll go after them and I'll bring them to me. And Jesus was making a statement here. When he saw Zacchaeus, he looked up in the tree and he said, I see one of mine. You're one of mine. And I'm coming here to get you. And I don't know what had happened in Zacchaeus' life to make him take the job he did or make him behave the way that he did. I have a feeling that Zacchaeus looked around at the corruption that he saw and said, you know what, if everybody's getting something, I might as well. Jesus walked by and said, even in spite of being wounded by a religious system, I'm still after you. When he calls Zacchaeus down, he stepped into his house. And let me just say, when Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door. And it's not talking about the person that doesn't know him. It's talking about the person that says that they do. If you open your door, and God's knocks sound different. We think of a, a knock on the door as a, that's what a knock sounds like. But God's knock sounds so much different on our door. Man, I'll, I'll never forget I'll be in home one afternoon, and, and there was a knock at our door. And I looked, at the, I looked out the window, and there was this scruffy-looking guy with Duck Dynasty beard as before they were popular. And he was standing at the door, and he had scruffy-looking clothes. And I didn't know who this person was. And I wasn't about ready to open the door, so I did what everyone does when, when Jehovah's Witnesses and stuff knock on the door. You just pretend you're not there. And so I did. I pretended I was not there, and he kept knocking, kept knocking. He reached in his pocket, and he pulled out this little slip of paper, and he looked at it. Looked at my house number. House number. Hiding. Went to the back of the house so I didn't have to hear the knock, you know? Pretty soon I heard, boom, the door slammed to a truck. I went up and looked at the blinds. He's in this really beat up Toyota truck. Starts up, and drives off in a cloud of smoke. In the driveway was this big plastic Fisher Price house, like the big kind you see at the old Toys R Us stores the world fisher price house in my driveway took the fisher price house put it in the backyard my son was gonna be coming home clark he was real small at the time and he had always played in those things every time we went to the store he always played in those fisher price houses took him out of the backyard set this house down i felt really cool actually carrying a house and set it in the backyard when clark got home i said hey buddy i got something to show you it's really cool i figured if the man left it out of the wrong house we'd always we'd fix that later but for right now we had a free house you know and so 
went there and opened the gate, and Clark goes in the back, and I said, look, look at the house, man, pink door, we can paint that, you know, and, and he walked back, he looked at it, he goes, oh, it's here, cool. He walked back, he opens the door like a building inspector, he's looking at the plastic faucets, the shutters, you know, inspecting, I'm like, like, did you know this is coming? Yeah. Did you know who's bringing it? Yeah. Well, okay, I'm worried now. <laughs> how do you know a bearded man? I said, <laughs> I said how, who brought this to you? He said, Dad, God, did I ask him? I asked him this a while back, and he just brought it today. Like he was ready and waiting. He put the order in, and he was on his way. Can I just say that when God knocks at our house door, a lot of times that knock sounds like a job layoff. A lot of time that knock sounds like a, a illness. A lot of time that knock sounds like a broken heart. A lot of times that knock sounds like a, a situation that's fractured and broken and tears you down to your core and makes you wonder if God's even real himself, but that's not a knock that you need to ignore. We, a lot of times, pain, it's our life, and we, we run and we hide. We say, I don't want to deal with that. I, it can't be God, and we go hide in the back of our house, and God says, behold, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and that knock is an invitation. He says, if you open the door, even when you're brokenhearted, if you open the door now, I'll step in. I will tell you something about myself. We'll fellowship. We'll have that, that intimate relationship, intimacy, into me, see. I will look into your heart. I will show you my heart for you. If you will let me knock, I will show you this relationship that you have said you've always wanted. Stop asking me. Stop asking me to meet you and to be your God. Stop asking me to have relationship with you. And every time I knock, you run and pretend you're not home. Let me just say, if God is knocking on your heart today, that's the sycamore tree. That's the tree. Open the door and say, hey, listen, I don't get it. I don't get why you got to knock in that way. But I want you to know the door's open and I'm ready. Because if opening the door to this is what it takes to get this, I don't want anything to come in between that. Let me tell you something. Over the last couple years, my life has looked a whole lot different than I ever thought it ever would. Like in the grand scheme of plans, you lay it all out, my five-year plan, 10-year plan, 20-year plan. This is where God's going to do. This is what I feel like he wants me to do. God says, no, Proverbs 16, 9 is still in the Bible. You can make your plans, but I will direct your steps. And my steps are different than your plans. So why don't you make the right plans and plan to change? Why don't you plan to stop holding on to what you want? But man, I'm telling you what, the sycamore tree moment for me was the moment I looked back and said, the view from here is so much different than it was before. I'd rather be up in the tree where people thinking, he's a lunatic up there, than I would to be back behind the crowd trying to fake it till I make it, come to the church every week, smiling, oh, things are great, walking home empty and broken, looking at this, empty and broken, hearing people talk about God, empty and broken, and trying to fix that with titles and trying to fix that with busyness and trying to fix that with schedule. It was empty. Y'all, where are you? How do you see God this morning? And are you happy with that? Is it real for you? If it's not, what would you be willing to change? Man, the change could be something little, like let me just change the place I sit in church because when I sit here, the door opens up, I'm distracted and I lose sight of what's going on. It could be something little, like making a prayer partner saying, hey, pray with me on this. It could be something little, but that little change, that little sycamore tree could be just enough to reignite a passion and reignite a relationship with God that you thought was non-existent.
Where are you and are you happy with that? And what would it take for you to climb the tree? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day you've given us today. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for meeting us where we are. Lord, I want to thank you this morning for every disappointment, for every wounding, for every pain, for every moment that made me think that you were not in the room at all. I want to thank you for doing what it took for me to get a hold of me. I don't understand you all the time, but I do know that I trust you. I don't get your plans. I don't get your purposes all the time. But I do believe that you know what you're doing. Lord, I ask you that you would look into every single heart right now. Lord, would you help us to see you as someone who is madly in love with us and reaching out for us? Would you help us to see you as someone who's already decided where you stand with us, whether we ever come to church or not? Would you help us see you in that light? Lord, I ask you that you'd help us to be willing to climb, be willing to change our view of you. In Jesus' name we ask it.